21. I want you to read with me. We're going to start in verse number 22. And, and we're not going to really be here tonight. I just want to show you one word that's coming out on this. We talked about it last Wednesday night. Actually, we preached out of this. I want you to look at the word fulfilled that's in this scripture. Luke chapter 21, look at verse 22. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and pregnant, and to those that give suck or breastfeed in those days. Look what it says. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive in all nations or into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down <clears throat> of the Gentiles until the times uh, of the Gentiles be, there's the word again, fulfilled. It says, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waters rowing, men, men's heart failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming to the earth or on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Remember, we talked about this this past Sunday morning. We talked about that sixth seal being opened up and the heavens would be shaking and the earth would shake. Look at verse 27. After those things, it says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Amen? It says, And when those things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake unto them a parable, Behold, a fig tree and all the trees, and when they shoot forth, <clears throat> so when they now shoot forth, you see and know uh, of yourselves that summer is now at hand. So likewise, when you shall see all these things come to pass, he says, Know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away, and here's the word again, till all be fulfilled. And this word fulfilled over and over and over, it's found in Mark, it's found in uh, Matthew's account of this story right here, Matthew chapter 24, it's found in Luke chapter 21. It's a word that's being used all the way through it. This generation shall not pass till it be fulfilled. These are the days of vengeance or justice, and they're not going to stop until it is fulfilled. Over and over and over, and what it makes you think about, and I don't know if you write notes right there, if you want to write it in the margin of your Bible. Right there, you need to write Daniel 9 24 because the Bible says there's one word back there in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel that he says what? He says that 70 weeks or 490 years are determined upon your people and your holy city, thy people and thy holy city. So, what that word determined means is that God said this is going to happen, but now when we look at Matthew and Mark and we look at Luke, we're reading the account that says these things are going to be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, when you look at that word, and let's see if I can be able to go through these things, uh, uh, Brother Britt, if not, you could just kind of take over. But, uh-oh, uh I did something wrong there. There we go. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the hands of the potter. Um, we're going to be covering, there's, there's three messages I really want, you to, really want you to be here for. I really want you to be for all the messages that we always preach here anyway. But uh, I really want you to be here for these next Wednesday nights, these three messages. And I've been telling you this. And, and let me explain why. And, and for everybody that watches it and the DVD and at home and all that stuff, please don't misunderstand me. But there is a hunger to come on Wednesday night. There's this hunger that you have. you you, you got to have this dedication. You have this commitment that you go, you know what, it's Wednesday. I need the midweek fill-up, and I'm coming. And, uh, and so I hope that these Wednesdays have been so great for you to take Sunday morning stuff and we really get a little bit deeper on Wednesday nights because that's what, we are, what we're doing here. You know, we're trying our best to grow more in the Lord. And uh, God's shown me something in the book of Romans. On the beginning 
first cover of your uh, pages there, your study notes, it actually says Romans 9 through 11. Don't fear, I'm not going to preach chapters 9 through 11 tonight, okay? Uh, Patty already got nervous about that. And, uh, and I was like, no, we're not gonna, I'm not going to go all the way through there. But what I am going to do is try to cover chapter 9 and then 10 and then 11. And you're going to see something. We're going to see that this chapter in chapter 9 is that uh, these people are in the hands of the potter. And uh, if you look at Luke 21 and you look at Matthew 24 and you look at Mark's account of Jesus talking about the great tribulation, you see that word fulfilled over and over and over again, church. It's always used there. And it's a Greek word, and if you want, I wanted you to write it down, but uh, I'll spell it for you. It's P-L-E-R-O-O, P-L-E-R-O-O. And I think you're going to say pleru, but it's not pleru. But it is actually plerao, and it's a word that means fulfill. It's used 90 times in the New Testament, okay? 90 times in the New Testament it's used as fill, fulfill, fulfilled, all these others. But out of the 90 times, 51 times it's used as the word fulfilled or Fulfillment. I was about to choke on a cough drop. Fulfill or fulfillment. I know y'all would laugh at that probably more than the opening joke. <clears throat> I know some of you would. But, and then some of you would help me by getting it out of me. But um, fulfilled. And out of those 40 times, out of the 51 times, 40 times it's used with this phrase in front of it, that scripture might be fulfilled. 40 times in the New Testament that word plareo or plerao is fulfilled it means scripture is being fulfilled. Do you know that that's what your Bible is doing? Do you know that from the Old Testament we have all of these prophecies that are concerning Israel, things that God's going to do with the earth. And not only concerns Israel, it concerns them as blessings and inheritance and all of these things and promises, but it also talks about the Babylonian people being raised up. It talks about Pharaoh. It talks about the Chaldeans. It talks about the Medes and the Persians. It talks about Greece. It talks about all of them. And all of this stuff Jesus is saying in this, in this one chapter of Luke 21, he's saying Scripture is being fulfilled. This is the days of justice or vengeance. Because why? It's being fulfilled. These are the days, and this generation shall not pass away. Till what? Till all of these things shall be fulfilled. What's the thing that's being fulfilled? God's Word. God's Word is what is being fulfilled. And in this study that we're going to do over the next three uh, Wednesday nights, it's going to go along with Revelation. That's why you got, I know you got like probably about 20 of those little bitty revelation slips that says seven on it. But I want you to know these all kind of go together, so you're going to have to go back and put a number on them. <laughs> but it's, uh, in this study, we're going to talk about the rise of Israel, the fall of Israel, and also the redemption of the nation of Israel. And we're going to understand what the word fulfill means and talk about how that the Gentiles are actually coming in and until the fullness of the Gentiles are fulfilled and all this stuff and how they stand in God's grace. And so if you would, join me in prayer. Father, as we come to you tonight, we thank you for the opportunity to speak your words. Thank you, Lord, for the people that come to hear, uh, Lord, to, that have a desire to grow deeper. Lord, to have a desire to learn more and to, God, um, have you closer in their life. And Lord, I just pray that you just please speak to us tonight. I pray always, Lord, that everybody, we would all understand, no matter if it's a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, or revival meeting, a mission conference, whatever it is, neither, neither of those are greater than the others. And Lord, a Wednesday night is just as important as a Sunday morning to us. And when, when, when we're breaking your word open, when we're looking into the word of life, it's important to us. So, God, we ask you now to please speak to us. Please help us, Lord, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
We ask all these things. Amen. There's just a few things. If you would, turn over to Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter 9, and that's where we're going to be. We're going to hang out there probably for the rest of the night. Uh, I didn't know I had Luke 21 in there, but that's where we're going to be for the rest of the night. We're good, brother. Uh, Need to go back when I don't know why it went forward. Um, But we're going to be in Romans chapter number 1. And uh, talking about this, we're going to talk about Paul's concern for the Israelites. Just the one right up above that. Paul's concern for the Israelites is what we'll see in Romans chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse number 1. Good grief. Man, I can't wait for the days that other people would preach. Amen. Uh, Man, it's so hard sometimes. Romans chapter 9 and verse number 1. Look at what Paul says. He said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. You know, it's awesome to know that this book started out by saying, in Romans chapter 1, that Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to know in chapter number 9, verse 1, that he's not going to lie to us. Amen. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. And what Paul's trying to do, listen to me now, before we get into chapter 9, Paul's actually doing this right here. He's pulling back and he's allowing his heart to be seen. Paul's actually revealing his desire and his heart. He's, he's opening up in this letter. He's He's just laying it all out there for these people to read this. And he's not writing this letter. Listen, church, he's not writing this letter to the Israelites. He's writing this letter as addressed to the Romans, which is addressed to the Greek people and the Greek nations and Gentile people. But Paul opens up up his heart. And sometimes, listen, some of the greatest messages I've ever heard people preach was when they opened up and allowed themselves to be vulnerable, transparent, allow them just to speak as God has put on their heart. Look, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. He said, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Paul said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul said in verse 2, he said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul's like, look, he's telling you. You think I've got it together sometimes, but there's sometimes that I don't. There's sometimes there's things that just eat at me and eat at me and eat at me. Uh, some of the things that eat at you would be something like um, spiritually. I'm not talking about like worldly stuff, but things that eat at you spiritually. If you've got a, a daughter or a son that's away from the Lord. And sometimes you try your best to put a smile on or you've got a brother or a son. Or a niece or a nephew or your grandson or a granddaughter. And you're praying for them, and you're praying that God moves, and you're praying that God touches them. You're praying that God would just save them. I mean, anybody ever prayed that? Save them. And you know, the Lord is like, I'm ready. My arm's not short, and my ear's not deaf. He's ready. He's on go. But it's them, you know, and you're praying for them. Paul, this is the way I look at Paul. Paul is saying, my heart hurts, and it's heavy every day because I want my people, I want the Israelites, I want these Jewish people, and I want the nation of Israel to know God. I want them to know God, not just in God of the Old Testament, not saying that he's not enough, but in the fullness of God, of the Godhead bodily, in his son, Jesus Christ, in the Messiah. And he said, I wish, he said, for I could wish, in verse 3, that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And look at these words, it says, 
who are Israelites. And so in order for us to move, what I wanted to talk to you about is that who are these Israelites? You know, we've been talking about the tribulation time. We've been talking about revelation. We talked about how the six seals been opened up. Uh, one through six has been opened up on Sunday mornings. And we talked about how that Israel is going to go into a time of chastisement. God's going to correct them. God's going to whip them and bring them back, you know, and that God's not finished with them. And, uh, but sometimes, you know, a lot of people on Sunday morning, some of us on Wednesday night, you don't really understand who the Israelites really are. And a big problem that we have in church today and in most churches today is that we don't understand a separation from what God was doing with a nation called Israel or a nation of people that came through Israel. You remember which was Jacob's name. Jacob, his name was Jacob, sneaky supplanter. But God said, you're no longer called Jacob, but you will be called Israel, right? And he was talking about that God's people were going to come through that lineage. and God, I mean, God's word was going to come through those people. God's son was going to come through that lineage. And we look at it. And then we go all the way over to the New Testament. We get to chapters of uh, Romans, chapter 9, and <clears throat> we have somebody come along that tries to share something with us, and then they totally confuse you by talking about vessels that are in the hands of the potter, that some are created to blessings, and some are created to destruction, and some are created to glory, and some are created to wrath. And all of a sudden, you've taken an Old Testament thing that God is speaking about to the children of Israel, and you're bringing it into this salvation experience, and we're messing it all up. We're messing up what Scripture actually teaches, and this is where a lot of Calvinistic thoughts kind of arise out of this chapter because they look and they say, God made this one this way and God made this one that way. And when the whole Scripture is actually going to teach us in a moment that God is God and he does what he wants to, but yet he is a potter that puts the clay onto the wheel and he is molding it and trying to shape it into what he wants it to be, but the clay refuses. And the clay does what? It resists. And the clay has rocks and all kinds of things in it. And God's doing with the clay what he wants it to do. But yet, listen, thank God he doesn't always throw it away. But there comes a time where if that piece of clay, that piece of dirt, will not be molded and will not uh, excuse me, uh, uh, surrender to the hands of the potter, then the clay is no good. It isn't. And it would be a vessel that would be created under destruction, that if he put it through the fire, it's going to crumble and it's going to fall to pieces. That doesn't mean that God made someone, man. Even the week we've had, God doesn't birth people into this world and give them life to have a stamp of hell on their head. That is a devilish teaching. And so in understanding the Israelites, we got to know these things. Number one, the Israelites, they were the chosen people of God. They are the chosen nation of God. That doesn't mean that God chose them only to salvation. And it doesn't mean that God saw something special in them that was not in anyone else. What it means is, is God in his sovereignty, the big word sovereignty, it just means this. It means that God is God. No one is above him. There is none that is like him. There are none that think like him. There's none that love like him. God is God supreme and sovereign, and he does what pleases himself. You know, and, and here's what we do today. We, we get all of our stuff together, and we think it's a good idea, and we write it out on our sticky notes, and we write it out on our notebooks, and we go, hey, I'm going to do this right here and do this right here and do this right here. And then you come to church and go, God, will you bless this? That's, that's backwards. In, in the South, we say that's backwards. That's wrong. 
that ain't right. Okay? What you should do is, God, you direct me. You lead me because you are all-knowing. You are sovereign, God, and you lead me in the paths that I will go in. And the Bible even says that he already is. He directs our steps. That he orders our steps. He directs our steps. But what do we do? We're looking to God to find those steps. The children of Israel were chosen. Look at this scripture right here, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, And now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look at what it said in this scripture right here. He said, the Lord spoke to Abram. He said, get up out of your country, the land of Ur, of the child. He says, get up. He said, and from your kindred and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. You go and do this, Abram. And then the next verse says, and I will make of you. Look at these things. He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. He said, and I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing. In those four things, what was he saying there? He was saying, listen, I'm going to give you a land. To a land that I will show you. He said, I'm going to give you a wonderful, beautiful land. Did you know that the most fought over piece of property and sought out piece of property is a little bit smaller than New Jersey? And it's in it's Israel, the land. As a Christian, you're thinking about all this stuff that Jesus did, and you imagine this place that you go to is going to be gigantic, and you imagine that it's smaller in Gunnersville, smaller in Smith Lake. It is. It's about eight miles uh, east to west and 11 miles north to south. You know what I mean? And you're, but in your mind, you've never been over there. You go, it's going to be huge. But in that land, you've got to understand, in that place, it's a fruitful land that God said he would give them. He said it. When they went and spied it out, they said, Brother Carl, it was a land that was like it was flowing with milk and honey. That's the way they described that it was a beautiful land. That clusters of grapes, that one clusters of those mighty big grapes of clusters that hung down, that they would have to put a staff on it and it had to be carried between two people. Church, he said, I'm going to do these things. Notice he said, I'm going to give you land. He said, I'm going to do those. I'm going to, um, I'm to land it. I will show thee. But then the next thing he said, he said, I will make a great name. He said, I'm going to make a great name. I'm going to make a great nation. He said, I'm going to do all of these things. What is he saying? I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to do this stuff for you. But then he turns around, and this is what's great. He says, the name that's going to be great, yeah, Abram will be remembered forever, you know, because all of our kids growing up in church, he's always going to be remembered because of Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, you know. And we do. We, in heaven, we're going to do the dance. In heaven, when we meet Abraham, we got to do the dance, you know. I mean, it's just going to be required. Some of you older ones may not know what I'm talking about. But uh, look at what it says in the last part. He says, but you're going to be a blessing too. He said, I'm going to bless all of those people that bless you. He said, but understand, I'm going to curse those that curse you. He said, but all the families of the earth will be blessed. How? Because of you. Because of you, Abram. Listen, the next thing that he talked about, church, was that they were a consecrated people. They were not only just the chosen people, but they were a consecrated people. The Bible says, look at Romans again with me. Romans chapter 9, verse number 5. And we're going to read down to verse, uh, excuse me, chapter number 9 and look at verse 4. 
He said, who are Israelites? Now look at this. We talked about it last Wednesday. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. The Bible says all of these things were given to them. He said all of this stuff, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the service of God, being able to perform as a priest and as a Levite the service of God, holding on to the promises. Look at the next part. It says, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came. He said if it isn't enough that God did all of that, but even concerning the lineage and the patriarchs and coming down through the history of time or the uh, time and through the lineage, he says that concerning the flesh Christ, the Messiah, was going to come. And look at these words. Who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. He says, not as though the word of God is not taken or hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because uh, they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But look at this. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, look, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Look at this. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. You get to these scriptures, and you get someone that's wrapped up in hyper-Calvinism and all this stuff, then you begin to have your mind go into this doubt. You begin to become confused. But we've got to take the word, word for word for word. Line by line, precept by precept, we have to look at this scripture. Do not let these things confuse you. One of the hardest things for you to read, and I know it is because it gets quiet and that's fine, but is that Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. You hear that and automatically you've been raised up in the Bible Belt in the South to understand that God loves you. You've been raised up to understand that God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You hear all of those words. You hear about that God is love and that he wants you, that God so loved the world he gave us. All those things are scriptures, but yet... In our pulpits today, it is so promoted above, above, above. And then all of a sudden, you read that scripture and you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not right. God can't hate people. God loves people. God loves sinners and wants all people to be saved. Don't take this scripture and put it into salvation. We ain't got to chapter 10 yet. We ain't got into the salvation part yet. We're still wrapped up in chapter number 9 and what God is dealing with Israel about as Paul is writing these things, you remember he started out by saying, I have great heaviness, continual sorrow. Why? Why? You remember why it was? Because of Israel. He wanted Israel to be saved. And while he's writing these Romans, he is actually having a time where he's looking back at the past of Israel. And he's looking backwards at this point in chapter 9, and he's, he's grabbing these things together. And Paul, listen, God is taking the big circle of the Scriptures and he is pulling them together. And Paul is learning the desert in order to do what? To take the word of God and to learn it by what? The greatest. 
You know what Paul said about himself? And he wasn't bragging, but he said, I have passed my teacher. Emmalil, which was his teacher, in the law, in the scriptures, in the prophets, and in the poetry, and in all of these things. He said, I excelled them all. But whenever he got saved and was born again, Brother Brandon, and he went out in the chapter number 14, you know, and he talks about it in chapter number 14. Now, most of the people in the church today think that's some kind of blanket so they can sleep in church. That's not what it is. He said, no, when he has come, what did he say, Brother Adam? He said, he will teach you all things. You know what he was saying? He's saying, I'm going away. I can't walk on the road to Emmaus every day with everyone. I've got something to go and do to go and prepare a place for you. without help I'm going to send the Holy Spirit the comforter and he's going to come live inside of you and he is me and that's what he's saying and he's going to teach you all things whithersoever I've commanded you God's you know what God's saying is I'm going to let your brains figure it out and uh -uh. he said I'm going to put one inside of you that's going to walk parallel with you paracletos and he's going to be right beside you arm in arm amen so he's going to do those things the people of Israel they were chosen by God God chose them as a nation. God didn't go, you know what, I'm going to save that one, and I'm not saving that one. That's not what the chosen part goes with. Election is not selection. You need to write that down in tombstone somewhere. Election is not selection. When God elected people, he I think... Charlie's going to do good. I'll pick Kim. And Kim's going to do bad. I'm not going to pick her. Donald's going to do good, bad, and I'm going to choose him. You know, you know, I'm not going to do that. God didn't do that. God sent his son for the sins of the What God was doing when he chose Israel and elected them as his people and adopted them so that they would do you know why he did that? Because before, what happened before the choosing of Abraham? Chaos. Chaos. And men's heart was turned to wickedness and wicked devices from the Garden of Eden all the way to Noah and the flood. All of these things, men's heart were continually given of law. And just as I created all of this stuff out of chaos and gave order to it, I'm going to give you order. You know, that's why the people today don't like the Ten Commandments hanging in courthouses, which is absolutely crazy. What they shouldn't like is the traffic ticket and their police record and all of those other things instead of not liking the law. If they liked the law, then they wouldn't have the police report and all of those other things. Right? Amen. Yes. Somewhere, Jennifer heard that. God consecrated, he called them a people. They were not a people. Abraham was not a person. And what I mean by that, like a good person, a godly person, and did things right, and God said, okay, Abraham, you can do it. You, you'll, you'll suffice. 
in the land of nowhere that God said, get up, get your kindred, get out of their house, and go somewhere where I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation and a great name, and all of the people of the earth will be blessed because of you, Abraham. Notice what he said in Romans chapter number 9. We're going to go back and read a little bit of it. He says that who are the fathers, let me go over here to my... Uh, verse 5, it says, Who are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. He says, Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now understand this. This is not talking about... You don't become an Israelite by receiving Jesus Christ. You become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you become a son and daughter of God. You don't become an Israelite. He says, what he's trying to say is, is neither... Because they are the seed of Abraham. He says, are they all children? What's he talking about here? He's saying, just because Abraham had Ishmael, that doesn't make him part of the blessed seed. Listen, that's where we have a big... One book that's written that brings the lineage down through Ishmael. There's another book that's written that... The Bible says that Isaac was the promised seed. We understand that through the lineage of Ishmael, there's only been death and death and death and death. The Bible even said that he would be a wild man. He'd be an evil man contrary to all other men. Brings death. But through the promised seed of Isaac, we have one that did what? Because of the sin of one man, death entered into the world. But because of the death of one man, amen, now we can have eternal life, right? Because of him. And so listen, church, he says in this next part, he says, Neither, verse 7, because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. He says, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, he says, that which are the children, or they which are the children of the flesh. He said, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. It's through Isaac all the way through the lineage. That's who he's talking about, the chosen nation of Israel. He says, for this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. You see what Paul's bringing up? He's bringing up, bringing up, Brother Matt, what God said. He said, and if you need an explanation for that, he said, I'm going to go ahead and remind you, the word of promise was not that Abraham could figure out how to have a son. The word of promise was God said, I'm going to make you and your wife that's barren, I'm going to make you that is unfruitful, and you're going to be old and dead within. She has a dead womb and all that. He said, I'm going to put life in there because I'm God, and I'm sovereign, and I'm going to promise you that. And what he was saying was this right here, church. He was saying, you follow me, and you believe me, and I promise you, you will be blessed, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What did Abraham do? Abraham said, yes, sir. He did. The Bible plainly says that Abraham was not saved or become a person of God because of his circumcision. No. wilderness and did all these things no it says that abraham believed god and that was accounted unto him for righteousness what it means is is that boom mine amen yes praise god yes wednesday good amen he says in verse number nine he said this is the word of promise at this time i will come and sarah will have a son and not only this look but when rebecca also conceived by one even our father isaac says for the children not even being born yet he said they weren't even able to do good or evil just yet. Amen. I love how God puts his stuff in the Bible. Don't you like your Bible? I mean, come on, don't you read it? Amen. I love the Bible because 
He tells us everything because we would look at this scripture. If we looked at verse 10, it says not only this, but we're in a Isaac, and then go on to verse 12. Skip that middle part, go to verse 12. It says, it was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. As is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. You wouldn't understand it all. But right there in the middle of it all, he says, the children not even yet being born, in verse 11, not even having done any good or evil, why, why did God pick Jacob over Esau? They had not done good or evil. See, we can't understand that. Here's the, way we, here's the way we do. And you don't point nobody. Don't amen and don't giggle out loud. This is what we do. This is what we do at our house. You got two kids. That good kid, nothing's yours, isn't it? Nothing's yours. That bad kid, that's the spouse's. That's just the way that it always is. That's, that's the spouse's. Why? Why do we do that? Because we aggravate them. We're joking around a lot of times. Some of you may not be joking, but we joke around most of the time. But the reason that you do that is because why? You see their fruits. Paul says right here, he said, before they were ever even born and never even had the chance to do good or to do evil, God did it. Why? Sovereignty. Look at verse number 11. That the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. What he's talking about, church, don't get this confused. He was not talking about that Jacob was chosen to be saved and Esau was not chosen to be saved. No, no, no. It's saying that Jacob was chosen to be over the brother, the older brother. He was the youngest and it was going to be over him and was going to be the leader of the nation of Israel. Why? God did that. Not because, and what's so good about this church? It says plainly in the scriptures, not because they were able to do good or to do bad. It wasn't like Esau was punching Jacob in the face and God said, I'm going to choose Jacob. They were not able to do good or bad, but it's by the purpose of God. God elected that nation of Israel to do something. You know what? Not everyone is called to preach. Not everyone is called to pastor. And the Lord knows not everyone is called to sing. Some people don't know that. Right? Not everyone is called to pastor. Listen to me. The Bible says he gave some uh, pastors, some evangelists, some teachers, all these things. Right? He gave these things. Why did he give those things? Church, that we should make our calling and election sure. Our vocation with God. That we should know what our calling is. I was called... To preach the gospel. To preach the word of God. I didn't know that. I thought God had somebody else mixed me up in church that night. At the rock, uh, uh, whatever, mountain rock lake church down there towards Tuscaloosa. Or towards Tannehill. I thought, God, you got to be talking to someone else. I'm 19 years old or 18 years old. There's no way that you call me to preach. You know, I mean, you just saved me. And you, you know what I just, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to wash off the stuff that I just got out of. There's no way. God called me to preach. Nobody told me that I should. My mom and daddy didn't look at me and said, you know what, son, you'd make a good preacher. Nope. Nobody told me. No preacher came and told me. As a matter of fact, they put their hands on me and they prayed for me things that were, I thought at the time, ungodly. Found out later that they were right. You know, I said, I'm, I'm surrendering the call to preach. I'm going to preach. Well, let's pray for you. God, if he ever gets out of your will, just kill him. No, God, No. Kill him, kill him. It was like, what? All of these things. 
I, I was asked to pastor a church here. I said, no, no. I, I said no for like six months. No, 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 no. Didn't feel God was calling me. And man, I prayed and I prayed and I felt the Lord release and God called me to do that. And, and I, I, now it's like I can't see doing anything else. I love, I love being a pastor. I love pastoring. I love teaching. I love reaching out and praying with people and doing all those things. But God called me to do that. That doesn't mean, listen to me now, that doesn't mean that what I'm called to do is greater or less than what you're called to do. That has nothing, nothing at all. But when you look at the scripture, it says that Jacob have a love and Esau have a hated. You've got to understand that God has, and we've, we've been learning on Sunday morning, God has this righteous indignation. He has this righteous, holy wrath that he will present against people that reject him. You know, we always look at this and we go, God's always sending people to hell. No, their rejection of a wonderful, holy God is actually leading them to that place. We understand that God has foreknowledge and he has understanding and he has foresight. But just because of that, it didn't mean that Jacob was greater and Esau was greater. Had Esau repented and walked in the same path, he would have been blessed, but he would have never had the same calling. He would have never had the same calling. Got to understand that. Why? Because the purpose of election of God. The purpose was that was what he was called to do. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, when he was called to preach the word of God, what did he say? I'm but a child, Lord. I'm but a child. I used to call myself Jeremiah all the time because I, I, I cried all the time. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. I mean, the book after his book is, is his book called Lamentations, which is nothing but just tears. And I'm looking at that, you know, and I thought, man, he, I, I relate to Jeremiah a whole lot. And the older I get, the more that I read the book of Jeremiah, I understand more of what he was crying about. I understand he was looking at the situation of the world at that time and how that the people were in sin and the people were walking away from God. And, man, it does. It makes you weak. Same way that Paul. Paul's heart was he was continually heavy in sorrowness because he wanted the people to be saved. Paul was so sorrowful, church, because the reason of it was Israel. And you said, Brother Steve, you said it doesn't matter. God's no respecter of persons. I understand that. What Paul is saying is that you had the covenants. You had the adoption. You had the promises. You had the law. You had the Messiah coming through the lineage. You had all of this. Can you imagine how brokenhearted Paul was when he was saying, you were chosen by God to bring his word, to bring his son into the world. You were consecrated by God. You were a people that were set apart. And that when God shielded you, no armies could invade and attack you and overtake you. But when you sinned, God would pull back and allow the enemies to come in so that they would chastise you. So that you would come running back to the God who called and consecrated you. He's saying, my heart is so heavy because you basically had all of it. And you're throwing it away. He's saying, I don't understand that. That's why the scripture says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What he's talking about is that Jacob I have loved in his decision, and Esau have I judged in his decision. I have a righteous indignation against him. You say, what do you mean? You remember the parable that Jesus said, and we're probably not going to get much past this, but you remember the parable Jesus said? He said a certain man had two sons. Steve Abney, let's call him Steve. Had two sons, and he said, boys, why don't you go work in the field? One of them come to him and said, yeah, I'll go, daddy. And he didn't go. He said, the other one told him, I ain't working in the field today. I just ain't going to do it. I'm just going to play Fortnite. But later he repented. 
And he went into the field. And he said, you know, he asked him the question, what do you think about that? You know, he was talking about the one that was justified was the one that repented and did that. You know what? Look at the story of Esau and Jacob. Esau started out in a big priority in the eyes of Isaac and Rebekah. He was a mighty hunter, you know, man's man, all that. Jacob hung around with his mother. His mother got him in trouble. Dysfunctional family. Montel Williams, I'm telling you, Jerry Springer stuff. She convinced him to do all this stuff while Isaac was saying, Esau, keep bringing me the deer, buddy. Keep bringing me the deer, eating it up. They had a dysfunctional family. And you look at it, Jacob started out sneaky and lying. Esau seemed to start out up top. But what happened? The thing that God could see. Not that God chose, but the thing that God could see. Esau said, who cares about this stinking birthright? And he despised it, which is the exact same words when Ishmael saw Isaac being circumcised on the eighth day that he despised the son. And what it means if you despise and reject the son, then you have rejected the father, which is the same gospel we preach today. If you reject Jesus, you reject God Almighty. So if you have a teaching today that is of a different book and they say that Jesus is only a prophet and he was not the son of God, you are despising the son of God. So in turn, you may call him Jehovah, you may call him Allah, you may call him whatever you want, but if you reject the son, you're rejecting the father. And you have no salvation because there is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. So what happened? Jacob was that little scoundrel, the lying uh, costume-wearing guy, put goat's hair on, you know, and, and went in there and stole the birthright, but, but Esau didn't want it anyway. And all of a sudden, it flopped. <laughs> Jacob ran away, and he found God in a place that he didn't know God was, Bethel. He built a place called El Bethel, the God of the house of God. You remember, and he went over and worked and married and got a wife and another wife and all this stuff happened, but when he come back, he wrestled with God. Wrestled, I believe, with Jesus. Wrestled with a man, the Bible says, a man. It was God, and he took his hip out of joint. And Jacob limped the rest of his life, had to have a cane. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he leaned upon his cane and he worshiped God as he was telling the sons, you know, to continue on to do those things. Church, Paul says, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that you would start out so good, you're turning away. But the Gentiles that you've always talked about and that you've always condemned, they started out bad, but now they have the promises and they have the blessings and they have the covenants. They have all of those things. Church, look, let's go to these other things. Uh, and we're going to go quick. And uh, I just want you to write them down in your notes and stuff. Britt, if you handle that, I'm not going to. Stick with it no more. You, you can get that. That way I can go faster. They like it when I speak faster. I want you to read. We're just going to read Romans through the rest of it and understand this part right here. That <clears throat> The reason it happened was because it was the purpose of God. God purposed these things. Look at verse number 14. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is there unrighteousness because God loved Jacob and it said he hated Esau in that matter, in that fashion? No, no, no. Look at what Paul says. He says, God forbid. He said, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but look what it says, but of God that showeth mercy. 
For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will, have mercy, and on whom he will, look at this, it says, he hardeneth. Understand, we're going to stop right there for a moment. Understand something. When he talks about Pharaoh and he's talking about how he's hardened and stuff like that, you look at this and you'll begin to get this picture that, okay, God did all this against him. What it's talking about is remember that we're going to go in a minute and talk about that the clay is in the potter's hands. And when it talks about the clay being in the potter's hands, just like Israel was in Jeremiah chapter number 18, it talks about when they resisted what's happening, they're becoming harder and harder. And as much as God can put more water and God can do those things on there, and it just becomes harder and harder, what does it actually happen to it? It actually becomes useless. And what he was talking about, if you go and look seven times, Pharaoh had opportunity to repent. Seven times did he, and what I mean, he had many chances to repent, but there were seven times that Pharaoh even spoke things that was almost in the sense of, please ask God to forgive, please ask God to do this, please do that. But eventually, what happened was, was that clay that would not allow itself to be molded and to be made together, what did it do? It became harder and harder and harder because the problem is not within the potter's hands, the problem is within the clay. And you say, how do you know that, Brother Steve? I'm going to explain to you how I know that in the best way ever. When I was in art class, I we took art class. I, I was an art student of the year. My senior year had all this great stuff. You know, yeah, we get the names and all that stuff. And then in the yearbook, they put another person's name in there. So, yeah, you know. It's, uh, but I, I made these things. I made a sarcophagus. I made all this stuff. Not a big one, a live one to put a body in, but it was a small clay one, okay? <laughs> You're like, what are you doing, making coffins? You know, yeah, you don't want to mess with me. But anyway, I made this thing look. We, we had to make this thing. It was a mask, and uh, we were trying to put them all and stuff. And so we made one with a big old nose on it. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you why. But we made it with a big old nose and stuff. But uh, if you don't get every air bubble out of the clay, it's going to be fun. And you say, well, what would happen, Brother Steve? It would blow your nose off. <laughs> it did. Because there was an air bubble, when they put it into the fire and there was an air bubble in the nose, the thing blew up and it blew off the face of that mask. And so everybody was like, what happened here? Well, there was a nose that was on there, but it blew up because why? A defect. Because of defect. Church, that's what we're talking about. Is that if you're pliable and you're molding, moldable and God can shape you and to do those things, listen, you're in his hands. But if you refuse him and you reject him, and you begin to move out of the potter's hands and to move away from him, understand that it's only going to be a vessel of destruction. But that's not God. God doesn't make vessels of destruction to go, now I've made evil. When God created Satan, you know Satan is a created being. That's why he cannot create anything. He's a created being. He did not create him to be Satan. He did not create him to be this dark demon, all these stuff. No, no, no. What did he do? He tried to put himself above God, and so therefore, trying to put himself above God, he fell to the bottom. Fell into those things, church. And look at this scripture. He says, uh, verse number 18, he says, Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he have mercy, on whom he will. It says, he hardens, hardeneth. He says, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? He says, no, but O oh man, he says, nay, but O oh man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? 
Why hast thou made me thus? Hast not the potter over the clay, uh, excuse me, potter power over the clay? But look at these words. This is the part right here. This is where it would kind of get to where you go, all right, Brother Steve, it says that he's making it, and he has power over the clay to do those things. But it says, it says of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Now, look at these words. What if God? That's a key. There's, this is an illustration. This is not saying that God makes vessels of wrath, but he says, what if God, willing to show his wrath, and to make his power known. In other words, to take that and to make it into a vessel of destruction. He said, to make his power known in all of this. Endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called. Not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He's saying, what if God did all of those things? What kind of God would we have? What kind of God would we have before us? If, if, if he made Charlie to die and go to hell and he made Keith to die and go to heaven and he made you to do great things and you to do evil things, he says, what if God did all of those things? He said, it, it's just it's crazy to even understand. He said, where do the Jews and the Gentiles even fit in? If we can't resist him, then where do we fit in? If he has power to just go ahead and make us that way and to do it all, then where does the plan of salvation? Paul's like, where does it all come together at church? Listen, the justice of God. It talks about it. Look at verse number 25. He says, he also says in Hosea, it says, I will call them a people that are not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. It says, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people. He says, there shall you be called the children of the living God. He said, Isaiah also cried about this. Look, he's already quoted. He's already went back and quoted Jeremiah about the potter. He's quoted Exodus about Pharaoh. He's quoted Hosea. He's quoted Isaiah right here. He says, he said, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. He says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. He says, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been like Sodom, and we had been made like unto Gomorrah. He says, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Stay with me. He says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. And look at what he says. He says, why or wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were of the works or by works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Listen, God gives them a warning. And I'm not going to go into Jeremiah, Brother Britt, but I wanted to give you that. But if, uh, if you want to write that scripture down, you go home tonight and read uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 29 through 34, about the warning from God. Jeremiah 7, 29 through 34. But I want to give you this last thing. They, they were called by God, and, and oh, excuse me, they were chosen by God, and, and um, they were set apart or consecrated by God, but, but they became calloused. Th these people became calloused and hard-hearted. They became hard. And you look at this, church, to sum it all up, you think, all right, they become hard because God did that, Brother Steve? No, we've learned through Scripture. It says, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and on whom he will be hard. Understand, when did he say that? When did he say it? He said that when he was quoting the potter in Jeremiah. What he was saying was this. If you take a lump of clay 
And you put that clay, Brother Bill, on that wheel. And you mold that. And you're doing it. But it is resisting you. Then that potter has every right and sovereignty and power to do what? To pick that lump of clay up and set it to the side. What happens to that clay when it is set aside out of the hands of the potter, out of the moisture that the potter will put on that clay? What happens to it? It becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. And eventually what happens to it is that you cannot put it back on the wheel and mold it anymore. Are you with me? So now we understand what he's talking about in Romans. And we talked about a couple of Sundays ago about the boiled egg. If you continue to resist God and his will, W-I-L-L, and you to be saved, listen, he will not always strive with you. He will not always continue with you. And you think, well, Brother Steve, Adam got 400 chances. And I only got 399. That's not where we're talking. And, and, and that's not just. Let me tell you what's not. You know what's not just? God condemning all of us. And all of us dying lost without him. You want to say, well, that's just not fair. You know what? God can say, you rejected me. And you sin, And you're all condemned. And God would be just, and God would be sovereign, and God could walk away and say, He is God. But because of His great love, man, that's what's so great. Man, I hear these preachers with their fingers, they look like five miles long, and they're always pointing, condemning people in condemnation. And listen, we understand, we deserve to be condemned. We deserved all of what hell would have to offer all of us because of our sin. You know what? You see all that stuff on the TV and you see that nastiness that's happening? That's because of sin. That's because of sin. And we want to look around and go, it's because of that person and that person. That's sin entered into the world. Brother Steve, I've never had those thoughts. Thank God you've never had those thoughts. You're a child of God. You shouldn't have any thoughts like that. But I'm going to tell you something. Because of sin in the world, evilness and wickedness is always going to abound. And here we are. We're on the wheel. And God says, I want to mold you, and I want to make you. And Israel is going to be a great nation, Abraham, if you follow me and you listen to me. Okay? Not salvation. But Israel refused him. Israel rejected him. Every time God went in to try to make that wonderful vessel of glory out of them, there was always something corrupt in there. Always something wrong. So you know what God did? Brother Matt, he did what we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks now. God said, Israel, okay. He's put them to the side. He put them to the side. Pharaoh, you repent and let my people go. If not, what are you going to do? I'm going to send this plague, okay? He sent the plague. Oh, please tell them to stop. Pharaoh, now repent and let my people go. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to send another plague. He sent another one. Pharaoh, let my people go. No, but take his plague away. You let my people go. You repent. I'm not going to. Listen, being squeezed. Now, here's the crazy thing. A lot of people think God chose Pharaoh and picked him because he knew he was never going to repent. And that, that's what God does is he picks, that, that God creates these Hitlers. Let me tell you something. God didn't create Hitler to be an evil, wicked person. No, 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 no. Satan entered into that man when he made a decision to go away from what God said. All of that happened. People go, God created Jeffrey Dahmer. Are you crazy? 
No, no, no. He created him as perfect, as a wonderful, fearfully created in the image of God. But sin marred that, and Satan entered that. That's why he did those corrupt days. God created Ted Bundy to do all that stuff. No, that's crazy. It's ludicrous. And that's what people in Calvinism teach. That God created people to do those heinous things, and we can't do anything about it. No, no, no. No, we can preach the gospel to people. We can share the love of Christ with people. We can reach out to people. Brother Steve, are you serious? Yeah, did you not see just a couple of months ago a young man that looked across to the person that killed his brother and he said, can I hug you? you say, Let me tell you something. Satan doesn't cause that. No, no, no. The love of God came out of that young man that caused that judge to have chosen to sin in the world now want to attack all of that but God didn't make the attackers and God didn't make those listen God made us all we are all God's creation but we are not all God's children we're not Jesus told the Pharisees you're of your father the devil but look what he said in the last verse as it is written behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense and whomever believeth uh, excuse me and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed he says I did everything for you and you're just calloused and you become hard. See, God gets the blame for a lot of things that he shouldn't be blamed for. And sometimes in translations of Scripture, especially when we're looking at certain hard words or the way things are read, we look at it only in the light of that without looking at the big picture of the Bible and understanding Scripture must flow with Scripture. And when we understand and people go, well, it says that he hardened whom he will and have mercy on who he will and all that stuff. What he's talking about is nations and kingdoms rising and falling, rising and falling. But Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And God said, I can do nothing more with you. And he put him to the side and became so hard, nothing could be done. Reprobate, debased in the mind. Church, that happens. That can happen. You know what Paul's prayer was? We'll close with this. You know what Paul's prayer was? Paul was so heavy and concerned about Israel. Listen, especially if you got somebody that's lost. Paul was so started out Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, about being in heaviness and continual sorrow. Because you know what Paul was seeing? You know what God was showing Paul? Paul was showing him the past of Israel. And he was showing them about a nation that was chosen to bring what? Bring the gospel, bring the word, bring Christ, all that. And how he's preaching to these Romans in this letter. And he's trying to tell these Roman people that now are taking in the gospel. They're taking in the word of God. And the church is in like a flame right now, Brother Matt. It's like a fire that's just spreading everywhere. And all of a sudden the church is rising up. And Paul is over there. And he's praying about Israel. And he's going... Don't be like them and turn away and become hardened. And he's saying, my prayer is that Israel will be saved. Paul's saying, I've seen all this and I've read all this and the word of God has seen it all happen. And how they would go away from God, they become callous and all that. And Paul was saying, my prayer for Israel is that they'd be saved now because I don't want it to be too late for them. You understand that? So do you understand the urgency of praying for those people that you know are lost? Do you understand the urgency to share the gospel with somebody? I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that the churches really, really understand it as much as we really need to understand it today. 
You know, there are teenagers coming to me talking about this study of Revelation has really got me praying for my friends. Concerned, I was like, praise God. Because that's what it should do. It shouldn't terrify you to go hide in a hole somewhere and wait on a rock to fall on you. Man, it should excite you and go, you know what? That person you work with that may not be there in the morning because they've had a wreck in the morning and you didn't share, you didn't tell them what God put on your heart to tell them, they'll be gone for eternity. While you're bored in church and you go to their funeral on the next days, eternity for them. We should realize our prayer should be so burdened for the lost. It shouldn't become calloused. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you'd be with